I'm reading from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, make us, make us hearers of your word. Make us those who desperately desire to know you better, more deeply, to live in the light of what you have done for us in Christ. Help us to hear this word rightly today. Give us courage, Lord, to face our own sins, to put them to death. Give us uh, everything we need to put on all the things you have for us. Lord, I pray today, Father, for each of us that you will work your spirit in us as we hear your word. And, and transform us by it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I've um, 
my booming, just pull the volume down a little on my headset, that'd be great. <clears throat> well, over the last few months, I don't know about you, but I've been keeping an eye on some of the uh, events around the place, uh, on some of the debates raging around Australia to do with uh, scripture in schools or special religious education in schools. I don't know if you've sort of kept up with what's going on. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it, it looks different in each state. Here in South Australia, it goes under the Christian Options banner, if you, you'll heard of Christian Options. But in other schools, uh, Scripture or Scripture in schools or something like that, it's a time when members of different faiths can go into public schools and uh, instruct people from their own faith uh, in that faith, uh, from their own communities. Uh, sometimes it's each term, sometimes it's weekly. It, it's been coming under increasing pressure uh, if, you've, if you've heard something in the media about what's going on, it's coming under increasing pressure and criticism, uh, driven by one lobby group in particular who, and, and came to a head, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, came to a head with the banning of a couple of books over in New South Wales uh, that uh, were banned from being used uh, in classrooms, which has since been overturned. Uh, uh, and they're able to be used again. Anyway, as I've been keeping an eye on this debate that's been raging, I've noticed a couple of things. Um, The first one is that it's quite hazardous for my health to start reading internet discussions late at night just before I'm going to sleep. I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, Just don't go on the internet at 10 o'clock at night and sort of, you know, read these, get into these incredible, ridiculous debates about scripture in school. It raises your blood pressure. Surefire way to not sleep well, Okay. So, anyway, that's the first thing I've noticed. The second thing, possibly more substantial, uh, is a general assumption that, a kind of general assumption out there that being a Christian, uh, that the Christian life, being a Christian is essentially about following rules. Essentially about following rules. It's it's about external modification behaviour, right? External modification behaviour getting people to change their outward behaviour according to some moral code. Uh, it's, and it's motivated, according in this sort of way of thinking, it's motivated by either a carrot or a stick. You know? It's either a reward for doing the right thing or a punishment for doing the wrong thing. There's a set of rules. You're punished if you break them, rewarded if you keep them. I don't know if that resonates with you or if it's sort of you've had the same experience in some misconceptions about or some understandings, popular understandings about the Christian life, what it means to live as a Christian. Well, what's critical, I think, for us in this context and what Paul goes on to sort of deeply mine in this chapter that we just read uh, is this whole question of the Christian life what it means to live as a Christian, not just to believe certain things, but day to day. Is life, is life with Jesus, does, is it any more than just living under a carrot or a stick? <laughs> is life with Jesus anything other than that? Is there more to it than just changing my behaviour motivated by fear or reward? And Colossians, well, the letter to the Colossians, I hope if you've been with us up to this point, I mean, you'll know the answer, right? For Paul... The answer is a resounding yes. Of course, there is more to it. Paul shows up this view for the anemic and shallow and ineffective view that it is. It is so important 
It's not as if we can... Friends, it's not as if Paul wants us to give up on morals, on the one hand. He doesn't do that. You cannot read the Bible. You cannot come to know the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ without being invited into a view of the world that is fundamentally moral, in which there are objective realities, ways of living that are genuinely good and genuinely evil. But for Paul, just external modif- behaviour modification, you know, changing your behaviour is not the answer. His whole letter uh, is deeply concerned, deeply concerned with how Christian people live. So it's important for us to grapple with this issue. We're not going to talk so much today about what it means to, be, to live as a Christian, to be Christ's people in relation to an increasingly hostile world. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Uh, so come back in a couple of weeks' time. We'll get to that in Colossians 4. We're not going to talk so much about that today, but we are going to look into this incredible letter of Paul, this chapter, chapter 3. We saw, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we saw, um, and if you have Bibles open, it'll help you as we we go along. Hopefully you were given one on the way in with a bookmark in it. But if we saw a couple of weeks ago in chapter 2, Paul's theme sentence for his whole letter, his theme sentence for his whole letter, Uh, He says, chapter 2, verse 6, Just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, looked at how incredible it was that the Colossians, they, they had received not just anyone, but Christ Jesus, the unrivaled Lord of all things. They'd received him through faith. And Paul says, just as you've received him, continue to live your lives in him. Uh, Again, just to sort of recap, bring us up to speed, if you were with us last week, uh, we saw how uh, that to live, for Paul, to live under a system of rules and laws, whether it's uh, the Old Testament laws that were designed to point us to Christ or, or man-made systems, Paul, for, for Paul, uh, that is to be taken captive. We saw that in 2 verse 8, taken captive by a usurper to Jesus' throne, a false lord, an imposter that won't change you deeply, but that will enslave you. Well, Paul's, uh, Paul's response, we, saw, we sort of touched on last week, again, if you're with us, Paul's response was to say to the Colossians, you are full in Christ. There is nothing else you need. Je- Remember we said last week, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You are full in Christ. And that reality that he pointed us to there, Paul goes deeply into in this chapter, uh, how that reality flows through and impacts and directs and changes every aspect of life. Well, I, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes you can feel the temptation to kind of give up on change. I don't know if you felt that sort of struggle or temptation. At least uh, uh, our sins and fears just seem too entrenched in us. Uh, they have too great a grip on us. My friends, what Paul will say to us today is that is a lie. That is a lie of the evil one, of the great usurper who wants to take you captive and steal your joy in Christ. 
So just to, before we sort of kick into the passage, Paul isn't playing theor- theoretical games here. He's not playing theoretical games, and we don't want to either. He wants to see a genuine transformation of this community, this little community of Jesus believers. Not external behaviour modification, okay? He doesn't want them to live their lives under carrots and sticks. He wants something much more real and eternal. He wants to see a life flowing out of a transformed heart. A life flowing out of a transformed heart. Life with Jesus is beautiful, friends. It is liberating and freeing and joyful. And Colossians 3 paints this stunning picture of it. So if you have your Bibles open again, I'd encourage you to have them open as we do work through. And as always, there's a, a, an outline in your handouts if you want to use that. Well, Paul dives in at the start of chapter 3. Uh, and the first four verses of this chapter, he, he, he's, so last week he's cleared the way, these false lords. Now he moves on to what living with Christ as Lord is. And the first thing he says, he fills us in with the central dynamic The key dynamic of what's going on in this life with Jesus. Life with Jesus is is living... I'll just say this slowly because it's so important. Life with Jesus is living, living out a new identity that we already have. It is living out a new identity that we already have and we already have it not because we've earned it, not because of anything good in us, Life with Jesus is living out a new reality that we already have simply because of God's kindness and mercy and grace to us in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God when Christ, who is your life, appears. Then you also will appear with him in glory. We saw it a few weeks ago in chapter 1 that through their faith in Jesus, we had the image of faith just being beggars' hands held out to receive, not to contribute anything, just through their holding their hands out to receive. They had been connected to Jesus in such a deep way that Paul could call it being in Christ. Their whole existence, their whole identity was now bound up with him. What happened to him in a very profound and real way, happened to them as well. You see it there as we read through in uh, those few verses. They, were, they had already a new past. As we read through, you would have picked it up. You have died with Christ. You, you have been raised again with him. They're so connected to Jesus through their faith in him that they with him have died and have been raised again to new life already. And not only a new past, they've been given a new future. Isn't that beautiful at the end of uh, verse 4 there? 
when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. They have this incredible past anchored in Jesus' death and resurrection, connected to him. They have a bright future. And so they have a new, new present as well, a new present that's sort of shaped by these two bookends of their life, their past connection to Jesus' death and resurrection and their future. A new present. We, Paul says that their life is hidden with Christ in God. Their life is hidden with Christ uh, this, it seems to me, is such a deep thing to just think about so much, the hiddenness of our life in Christ. There is, there is something unshakable that no matter what comes to us in life cannot be affected. It is hidden away with Christ in God. Not only that, Paul sort of uses this incredible phrase uh, to sum up their presence, have you noticed it there as we read through Christ? Yeah, I think it's in, uh, yeah, in verse 4. Christ, who is your life. This new presence, their whole reality, their whole existence, their whole identity, swept up, connected to Christ, who is their life. Well, um, it's grounded in these realities. Grounded in these realities, this new identity that is rock solid and secure, uh, this new identity that isn't more ours if we do good, it's not less ours if we don't, it's given to us freely. Grounded and flowing out of this new identity, Paul says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. If that's where you are, hidden with Christ in God, set your hearts on that. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. But what are these things above, friends, that Paul says, fix your heart on them, fix your mind on them, what are they? It's a bit of a dangerous thing to say, isn't it, for Paul, particularly to these guys. Now, we saw last week that they were in danger of this kind of uh, uh, super spiritual emotionalism or experiencism, I think I called it last week, of being caught up with angelic worship and having their identity tied to that rather than Christ. And Paul says, no, that is a, that's a, cap, a usurper who will take you captive, right? Uh, it's a dangerous thing for Paul to say this, sort of set your mind on things above, not on earthly things for them. You've probably heard the saying, right? You're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. There's a Johnny Cash song, come hear me good brothers, come hear one and all, don't brag about standing or you'll surely fall. You're shining your light and you shine and shine it you should, but you're so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. So you can see the danger, right, of this idea of setting your heart, your mind, where Christ is on things above. How does that impact the very real existence that we experience day to day? And with that in mind, uh, it's a bit of a shock, I think, what comes next if you of read ahead. It's a bit of a stunning sort of thing for Paul to go on to say. Set your hearts on things above. And what does he straight away go? He straight away dives down into the gritty realities of everyday life. And with a gory image to that, set your hearts on things above, therefore put to death. It's really a strong word he's saying here. 
slay. Deliberately, with determination, destroy. Living under this new identity, Paul says, there is something that you need to kill off. So (laughs) Paul grounds us, doesn't he? He keeps us from being so heavenly minded, we're of no earthly good, by grounding us straight away into the gritty realities of life. Paul says, whatever belongs to their old identity, we read it there uh, in verse 5, put to death, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, his way of saying this old identity that they had before coming to know Christ. He lists them, sexual immorality, uh, which just to sort of uh, be very clear on uh, in the biblical world, for Paul, for Orthodox Christianity, is any sex outside of marriage. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Then skip down to verse 8. Anger, not just anger, but sort of rage, that fits of outbursts of rage. And not just anger and rage, but the slow, seething malice, you know, that might not show itself in rage, but it's just the same. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying to each other. Friends, as we read this, it's so important for us to keep seeing Paul's gospel-driven dynamic at play. Paul says these things, can you see that? They are, they are evil. They, uh, and because of them, the wrath of God is coming. He doesn't sidestep moral realities. But the critical word in this whole section, the critical word right at the start of verse 5, therefore, therefore, you see, Paul grounds what he says here in what he's just said in the first few verses. This isn't holding out a stick or a carrot so that they'll conform to some external moral code. It's a call to live out the identity that they already have in Christ. A call to live out who they are in Christ, raised with him, dead with him, hidden with him. All of this, all of the things he lists here, they are things that belong to their old identity, the life they once lived. And at first glance, uh, it can seem like a bit of a list of to do, of not to do's, a bit, little bit of a list of to don'ts. Okay, a list of don'ts that you maybe you could check off. But if you read a bit closer, you'll see that there is something else going on here. You can't tick these off. Okay, you can't sort of go through the list and. You know, a tick off whether you've whether they're activities that you've done in a particular week or something. They're deeper than that. They're not just external behaviours that you can or can't do. They are descriptions of your inner life, of your heart, your character. See that in verse five there. Uh, the list, as the list goes on, it kind of gets deeper and deeper. Uh, it goes from sexual activity that is against God's good and loving design. It goes to a deeper impurity, a lust of the heart. And then there's this interesting phrase, evil desires. It's a really important word that gets used here. Uh, it's not so much desires for evil things. Uh, it means desires for anything. They can be desiring good things, but desires that themselves are sort of out of control, that turn things evil. An over-desire, literally. Uh, 
a, a kind of out-of-proportion desire. It can be for good things, but when this kind of over-desire comes into play, it becomes evil. It's the sort of thing uh, that when you uh, find yourself recognising someone as attractive, but not stopping there, not just doing that, but lusting after them, not just irritated by something, not just you know irritated by something, but filled with anger. An anger that you just can't shake. You know, the sort of outburst, you think, where did that come from? <laughs> where did that come from? Not just a little bit worried about what someone might think of you, but paralysed with anxiety and fear about the opinions of others. Not just wanting your kids to be happy, but so desperately doing whatever it takes so that they'll turn out a certain way. You see what Paul's saying, this, this concept of these evil desire, these over-desires, these all-consuming desires that can twist anything. And Paul gives us a way of thinking about these over-desires, these deep desires, in this striking phrase at the end of his list, uh, the first list he gives, greed, which is idolatry. Greed, which is idolatry. Well, if you were with us last week, hopefully the whole concept of idolatry might ring some bells for you for what Paul was saying there in chapter 2. We looked at these false lords that were threatening to take them captive and steal their life in Christ away, to stop them from living their lives in Christ. The Bible's word for living under these false lords is idolatry. It's serving an idol, seeking to get your desires met by a created thing rather than the creator. Uh, um, the great reformer, John Calvin, had a, has a very famous, you might have heard it, famous little phrase. He wrote, uh, he said, the human heart, he describes the human heart as a factory of idols. Every one of us is from his mother's womb an expert in inventing idols. For Paul, these usurpers to Jesus' throne and anything that belongs to them, Paul says, put them to death. Be merciless with them. Identify them, see them for what they are. Hold them up to the light. Hold them up to the light of the new identity that is yours in Christ. That is yours in Christ. Say to them that Jesus has the throne of your heart, <laughs> not them. Not your desire for approval or comfort or your deep need for control. It doesn't have the throne of your heart. Jesus does. And kill them off. In Jesus we have all the approval we ever need, all the comfort we ever need. We can rest in the knowledge of his control so don't seek in created things what can only be found in him. Paul says, for these things and what comes from them, slay them, <laughs> put them to death. But it's not just a negative. Um, I'm told, friends, I'm told, now I, I'm entering dangerous territory here, okay, because I have absolutely no idea about cars and I know Tony's sitting right there. Uh, I'm told that uh, an engine has things called pistons. Am I going right? Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and these pistons pump up and down as the car 
Oh, sort of. Okay, I'm going to say they do. They sort of pump up and down. Uh, and to make the engine go, they're always pumping up and down. You need them to go up and down the whole time. Thank you. You're nodding your head. Good. <laughs> uh, both uh, To make this engine of the Christian life work, uh, Paul sort of sees that same dynamic going on here. You need both the up and down of the pistons going all the time. Both the negative putting to death and the positive putting on, putting on. Uh, he says, and we saw it before in the kids' talk, he's got family clothes for us. Put on the family clothes. So verse 12 goes into that. It doesn't, and before we get there, as we looked at before, it doesn't make you any more part of the family. It doesn't make you part of the family to put these clothes on. You are part of the family in Christ, but our Heavenly Father has these new clothes for us. It's just what members of his family wear. Therefore, as God's, as, ah, oh, friends, listen to this, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Do you see what Paul's doing there? The reality is grounded and secure, and given that, in that, grounded in that, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. It's so realistic, isn't it? You know, this isn't sort of some life up in the clouds. It's, it's just so gritty and real. It assumes real relationships in which you will need to bear with each other. Just get to know me a little bit and I'll help you experience that. Bear with each other and forgive one another, as the Lord, has, uh, if, any, if anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, not the anxiety of your, the usurpers, the idols. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's just so much there, isn't there? What a passage. I just wanted to pull three things out for us as we sort of round off uh, one stroke of the piston in the engine of the human heart of, in God's family. Putting to death, putting on. Three things. Firstly, just notice the quality of these clothes that God has for us. They will never wear out. All the things below, you know, the things that belong to our earthly nature, that uh, attach to our idols, that uh, they wear thin pretty quick, right? <laughs> they wear out. Uh, Paul's talked in chapter 2 about human rules which are destined to perish with use. And it's the same thing here. You might know the author C.S. Lewis. He, you know, lots of us do. I mentioned him last week, actually. Um, uh, he, wrote, he wrote a great book called The Screwtape Letters. If you've read it, you know, just a uh, fantastic book. Uh, but he, he said afterwards that 
um, it was really hard for him to write, actually, because uh, he had to immerse himself. He, he'd used these words. He had to immerse himself in this world of dust and grit and thirst and itch. Dust and grit and thirst and itch. That's uh, it's a powerful image, isn't it? But that's, you see, that's the, the, sort of, that's the old man, the, the things that are attached to our idols that can never fulfill us, that will never give us peace, that will dust and grit and thirst and itch. And just notice how much more beautiful and eternal our new clothes are, friends. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and over them all, love. You cannot get too much of these, can you? You just can't get too much of them. You can get too much of anger pretty quick, right? You just can't get too much of these. And we all know that they are what we long for. They will never wear out. But friends, they will wear in. They will need to be worn in. Uh, See, change for us in Christ is... Paul is entirely positive and uh, he sees the, the potential and the reality, not just the potential of change, of transformation as we put on these things. Uh, but it can be slow and painful, can't it? It can be slow and painful. For someone like me, used to the dust and grit and thirst and itch, the clothes of love and compassion and forgiveness can sort of feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and it can be tempting to go back to our old rags. But they, friends, we need to hear that while it might be slow and at times painful and uncomfortable, they will wear in. And I take it that's why Paul adds verse 16 here. Uh, this message of Christ the gospel, the proclamation that Jesus is the unrivaled Lord of all things and that through, simply through faith in him we have everything he has. The message of Christ, Paul says, let that message dwell richly, settle in amongst us for the long haul. Now that's what will over time make these clothes wear in. That's what will make them wear in. Uh, That's what will shape our character, not just our external behaviour. That's what will mould our hearts to be in line with the reality of who we already are in Christ. Just a very quick plug at this point. You would have found in your handout hopefully a little outline of uh, when our home groups are on. We're starting those up over the next few weeks. Uh, if you are uh, part of the South Coast community and aren't uh, currently thinking of coming along to one of those, they would be great places to do this, to let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, to wear these clothes in. They will never wear out. They will wear in. And one last thing that we can't miss, and we need, we'll finish on this, but it's just so... Uh, sort of the underlying reality over it all um, that we've talked on all the way through. 
They won't wear out. They need to be worn in. And one last thing. They are already worn. They are already worn. See, friends, these are our family clothes because our Father already wears them perfectly. (laughs) Our Heavenly Father already wears them all perfectly. He had compassion on you. He poured out his kindness on you. In Christ, he humbled himself even to death for you. He is gentle in heart. He is unbelievably patient, isn't he? He is immeasurably forgiving. He is himself love. And so Paul rounds this whole section off, this incredible insight into what living with Jesus looks like on the ground, day-to-day existence. He rounds it off with this great encouragement for us, Uh, this killing off of false lords and the ways that are attached to them, this putting to death your idols and all the ways that are attached to your old, old self. And this putting on of our family clothes, it is all an outworking of an overflow from the reality that we have received in Christ Jesus our Lord, that we have received that is ours. And so he ends right at the end there, uh, this great encouragement for us. And I hope having journeyed this far, you see that this isn't, external behaviour modification. (laughs) This is heart transformation, a heart that is gripped by the reality of who you are in Christ, raised, dead to sin, raised to new life, hidden with Christ, a glorious future. He says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, lift our eyes to see the reality of who we are in Christ. Lord, may we not buy into the lies of the devil, of the idols that would take our eyes off Jesus. Help us to fix our hearts, our minds on him. Uh, where he is seated in the heavenly realms far above all power and authority, the risen Lord of all things. Lord, give us, we pray, in the knowledge of, our re- of who we are in him, give us the, 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 the joy in putting to death our idols that you have for us. Give us the courage to do that. Give us the patience to do that. And at the same time, to put on the clothes you have for us, Thank you that they are so beautiful. Thank you that you have worn them first. Help us to wear them in, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.